We're in Hebrews 2 this morning. We're in verses 14 through 18. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. May you hear the word of Christ. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of our God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For because he himself was suffered and tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us this morning to hear your word, to sing your hymns and songs. So now may you open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to receive your word so that we might be mesmerized by the birth of Christ. May we be mesmerized that you worked in such mysterious ways that we can't even fathom. And yet you've done it in order to redeem and restore us back to you. And for that, we give much thanks. And so, Lord, may we now hear the word as it is preached. May we hear the word as it is spoken into our hearts by your spirit. And may we receive it so that we might live it out for your kingdom and glory. We offer all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In our fourth Sunday of Advent, this Christmas season, so to speak, is starting to come to an end uh, with Christmas being celebrated officially in a couple of days. It's one thing I don't like saying on the Sunday before Christmas is this. I have both bad and good news for you. And it's all wrapped around the Christmas narrative of Jesus' birth. I'm going to begin with uh, quoting an author that I read this past week. He has this devotional, I believe it's about 30 days, a devotional leading into Christmas time. And this one struck um, a chord within me as I read this passage. He writes, The birth of Jesus was bad news. It wasn't just your typical piece of bad news. It was the worst news ever. You may think, how could there be any better news than the coming of the Messiah to the earth? Well, you need to understand that there are two parts of the Christmas story, and you need to know both parts to make proper sense out of the whole story. I think he's spot on. It's not just good news. There's bad and good that are held in tension with one another. And so if I could lay out for you this morning sort of the scope of, uh, of the sermon, it's very theological in its sense. Uh, we have exegetical sermons. Exegetical means simply a preaching of verse by verse. That's what I typically do. You choose a passage and you go verse by verse, breaking it apart. This morning is more theological. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we use terms uh, in our Christian talk that don't come directly from Scripture. They, are, they don't explicitly come from Scripture, yet they are adequate in order to describe what's happening in Scripture. 
An example might be Trinity. You can't go to your Bible and say, hmm, where's Trinity? You're not going to find it. Yet we have these passages again and again that say the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all equally God, yet equally a different person. And so we have a term like Trinity that's a theological term to describe very clearly what's happening in Scripture. Another one of those terms is incarnation. Incarnation we don't have in Scripture. Again, we can't open up the Bible and say, there's incarnation. But we do have enough passages that speak about God taking on flesh, the Word becoming flesh. If you remember just the first five verses of John 1, God taking on flesh. And so we have these theological terms that help us better understand the Scriptures. So my main scope and um, the, the, the whole message is theological. I'm going to try to see if we can understand why the incarnation matters. Why does it even matter to us today? If it is bad news and good news, why does it matter for our living? So hopefully I can at least present a meal before you that we can feast on, that we are mesmerized, and that we're caught up in the wonder of the mystery that God has taken on human flesh in order to redeem us, in order to restore us, and in order to renew us. So what does that look like? What does it mean for God to take on flesh? I'm going to break these down into three D terms. It wouldn't be a true Baptist preacher if I didn't have an alliteration of some sort. The three D terms would be dissonance, distance, and also days. Not as in the days of the week, but a days that you have with your sight. First, dissonance. If we've heard this word probably at some point in our life, but it's not one that we use weekly, dissonance. It's actually a musical term that deals with a lack of harmony. If you're near me when we're singing hymns, you'll know quickly that I cannot sing in key. No, mine's much worse, Blake, much worse. Yours is way better than mine. I sing quickly out of key. My, again, I said this a couple weeks ago, my, bro my brother got nearly every bit of the musical talent in our family, leaving my sister and I with very little abilities to sing, to play instruments and the like. But it is a lack of harmony, a lack of being in key. Or if you're a fan of American Idol, if you watch the first couple of weeks of American Idol, all of those people who show up thinking that they can sing, there's much dissonance. Much dissonance. So once it comes to a lack of harmony, Scripture reminds us again and again that our lives are full of dissonance. That our relationships with God often hit the wrong notes. That our relationships with our family and friends often hit the wrong notes. And regardless whether uh, we know this or not, sometimes even the relationships we have with ourselves hit the wrong notes. We tell ourselves lies all the time about how we're not valuable, 
Or maybe we think of ourselves more valuable than someone else. That is where we are hitting the wrong notes even with ourselves. There's a dissonance, a lack of harmony. And ultimately what it goes back to is that we are not in this proper relationship with ourselves, with others, and with God. That we need a harmony. We need melody and unison with God and his created order. That is dissonance. Now let's look at the second D, distance. That's this space between two persons or things. We know from the biblical narrative early in Genesis, there's a distance that happens between God and humanity because of Adam and Eve's own sin, their disobedience. There's this spiritual distance that happens early on in the story of God's scriptures. And this spiritual distance is very real distance between God and humanity. But also we see it in Genesis 3, 3, assume Genesis 3, that there's these curses that go along with the disobedience that Adam and Eve have. There's a breaking of relationships, a distance between Adam and Eve. There's a breaking of relationships with Adam and creation, and even a breaking of relationship with Adam and Eve and Satan himself. There's this distance that's happening here early on in Genesis 3, verses 14 through 19. And I don't think I have to persuade anyone here today to say, you know what, I need to persuade you in saying that there is distance in the world. I think we have seen plenty of distance with family members and friends and the like. I don't have to persuade you of it. You've seen it time and time again, and maybe even we have personally caused some of these problems socially with others. We distance ourselves from those who probably need a great love. We'll come back to this distance here in a few minutes. The third word, dazed. This is an inability to think and to see properly. Typically, when we're dazed, we're affected by something. We're dazed because of sickness. I think plenty of people in here have been so sick that you can't even see properly. That you're lightheaded and there's a daze to your own vision. Or maybe you're dazed because uh, of some sort of concussive hit. Uh, plenty of football players, when they get hit... They get a daze. They stand up and their equilibrium's off and they're not able to process what's going on around them. Paul reminds us of our own daze in Romans 1. He writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who repress the truth by their own wickedness. For what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them their seeing of it for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from his workmanship so that men are without excuse this passage right here talks about how even though we can look out and see the beauty and the wonder and the power that God has created the world there's still this daze that humanity has. That we're not able to see clearly the workmanship of God's creation. But this is only part of the scriptures. This is our situation. The days that we have is before the arrival of Christ. 
And when we confess him as king and Lord, he begins this work in us that our thoughts and our sight, we have clear vision and better thoughts that look more like his. And so you see parts of scripture like Psalm 119 verse 105 that speaks about God's word. Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so even scripture is seen as giving vision to our everyday world. One of the early reformers, John Calvin, a French reformer, wrote these words as it relates to scripture giving vision to your daily life. He wrote this, Just as an old and bleary-eyed man and those with weak vision If you thrust before them the most beautiful volume, even if they recognize it to be some sort of writing, yet can scarcely construe two words, but with the aid of spectacles, will begin to see distinctly. So scripture, gathering up the otherwise confused knowledge of God in our minds, having dispersed our dullness, clearly shows us the true God. What he's saying is that We can walk around in our daily world and we can try to see it. We can try our best, but there's a daze about it. But as soon as you open the scriptures and you begin reading it, and it begins to actually give you vision, it corrects that daze in order to give you a right gaze towards everyday world. The scriptures give sight. The scriptures give light. The scriptures show us the path to walk on. Once it comes to also John writing his opening gospel, the opening chapter of his gospel, he says this, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Once in a dark days, we no longer are. Now, through the eyes of faith, our gaze has been given light the true light of the whole world. I told you early on that I had bad and good news this morning. In Christmas time, we're inclined to see a season full of sugar plums, of treasured memories, of delightful warm traditions. But as I've laid out for us, that Christmas has bad news. And that bad news is that our own brokenness is the very reason why Christ had to come. So you have this bad news. It is that reminder that we are wicked and unrighteous and that we need a Savior. We need a Lord who comes and dwells within us in order to pull us back to the Father, to make that righteous relationship, in order to restore us back to Him, to renew us so that we look more like Christ and less like ourselves. That's the bad news. The second part of the Christmas story is about salvation and rescue, what I just said. That's the good news part. That is the good news part. So as I said a few minutes ago, we were going to come back to a word, sin. Sin is a dissonance. It's a disharmony between God and us, ourselves and others, and ourselves with our own created order. Sin is a discord Our constant desire is to hit all the right notes, but unfortunately we can't hit all the right notes. This is said by Paul when he wrote to the Romans, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
a discord, an inability to hit those right notes. But also our hearts need a calibration. If we were to stick to this musical metaphor, our hearts and our desires, our wills, minds, and habits need a retuning. Sin also is a distance, a spiritual space between God and others, between God and ourselves. So where there was once intimacy and communion with God, between Adam and Eve and his and their God, because of our actions and choices, now a distance exists between. And that distance needs to be closed. That gap needs to be closed. And the only way for this reunion and recommunion to happen is that there must be a God who takes on human flesh to reunite us to what was disconnected. Athanasius was a fervent and fighter of, of the incarnation. As many in his day in the 3rd and 4th century were going around saying that God did not take on human flesh, it is Athanasius who stood strong in defending the word itself, incarnation, as it adequately understood God in his most divine form takes on human flesh and there's a perfect unity. Athanasius wrote this, The incorporeal and incorruptible and immaterial word of God comes into our realm. Although he was not formally distant, for no part of creation is left void of him while abiding with his own father, he was filled all things in every place. But now he comes condescending toward us in his love for human beings and his manifestation. What he's talking about here is even though God is everywhere, his physical presence is everywhere, there was a spiritual distance there that had to happen where God takes on flesh in order to redeem human beings back to their God. In the midst of our dissonance, and in the midst of our distance, and in the midst of our dazed lives, love came down. Love in the flesh can clearly be seen in the per person and work of Christ. He reminds us, uh, in John 14, 7, if you really know me, you know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him through me. Since God is love, we are witnesses to the Father through the Son who took on humanity and promised in the sermon title, here's why the incarnation matters, church. Love delivers harmony. And it delivers harmony to our dissonant lives. We strike all the wrong notes. But with Christ, we can strike the right notes and the right chords in our lives. Christ retunes our hearts and our minds and our wills and our habits to love Him rightly, to sacrificially love others, and to enjoy creation as God's good gift. Love closes the gap, the distance that separates God from others. No matter how great the actions or intentions that we have, we cannot restore the relationship that separates us from God and others. It's not a work we can do. It is a gift that must be received. Our works and our proclivities land short, no matter how hard we work. Always, we need somebody to close that distance, that gap. Lo and behold, Christ comes to embrace us even as we run away from the Father. 
Love chases us down and invites us to commune with him, to be reunited with him. And lastly, love restores our dazes to gaze at the Father. When we cannot see rightly in the dark world, love not only gives light, he gives warmth. He offers vision and sight to our everyday world more clearly. You see, these are the very reasons why the incarnation matters for us today. Love delivers harmony instead of chaos. He brings flourishing instead of our own floundering. Also, love closes many distances to embrace us. He wraps himself in flesh in order to wrap his arms around us. Lastly, love overcomes our day's lives. He gives us a better vision. He reorients our vision. He gives us gazes to see who he really is and how he has created us to truly live. I want to close this morning with one last quote from Paul David Tripp, uh, the, the author I've been reading this week. He writes this, The willingness of the one who is God Almighty to leave the splendor of glory, to take on the normal limits and frailty of the human body, and to endure the daily realities of what it means to live in a terribly broken world is the definition of love. Let's look at that this week. How can we see that God taking on flesh is pushing us, motivating us to display that same love in our own bodies? Allow him to restore and renew us each and every day so that we might live out God's mission with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our community. How can we display that love has come down? Let us pray. Father, we are reminded of the importance of the incredible gift that was given to us through your son. And as much as we would like to break it down and logically understand every single detail, our minds cannot do that. We cannot. Yet we can respond in thankfulness. We can respond in, in a giving way that you have done something miraculous, that you have taken on human form and you have renewed us and restored us and reunited us with yourself. And so, Father, we give thanks for this day in which we can celebrate your son's giving of himself to leave all glory in order to reunite us with you. And so may we meditate on that. May we think on that this week and may it drive our love for others. And may we continue to tell the world around us that love has come down and it is in perfectly seen in the person and work of Christ. May that be our message this week. We offer these things in his name. Amen.